and it's called Good Friday. We call this Good Friday, don't we? That's traditionally what it is called. And I have to say, it's kind of interesting because while I understand theologically that it's Good Friday, you know, I have to say, I, I've always felt that Good Friday was kind of Bad Friday. You know, I mean, like, I mean, it was it was pretty bad for Jesus, right? And in fact, it was pretty bad for all the disciples as well. In fact, it was pretty much bad for everybody. And, and so I'm intrigued by why still now, 2,000 years later, we declare that this day is good, a good Friday when it seems to me it is a bad Friday. Matthew 27, 22 to 31. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. I mean, let's just run through that for a moment. Jesus has been interrogated much of the night, put through a complete mockery of a trial. So interesting, right, that the most dominant world power and some of the most powerful leaders of the day still bowed to the desire for people's approval. There was no justice that day. Jesus had been attacked, he'd been punched, he'd been spat on. I mean, this is unbelievable. In the morning, he was taken before Pilate. He was accused of all kinds of things to which not one single one did he defend himself. A crowd is gathered and is screaming for his blood. Pilate admits that Jesus appears to have done nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, but he gives in to the crowd. He has Jesus taken away and flogged. And for those who maybe aren't familiar, so we're talking about generally a flogging by a, a, what's called a cat of nine tails. It was a short-handled whip with nine pieces of leather, long pieces of leather, in which pieces, shards of bone and broken bits of pottery were tied into these so that when you whipped a man, it didn't just cut him, it tore out chunks of flesh from his legs, from his back. It was an unbelievable weapon in the hands of a Roman soldier. He was mocked, he was beaten, and then he is taken away and he's forced to carry a huge wooden cross until he collapses from dehydration and blood loss. The cross is carried for him. He gets to Golgotha, the place of execution, where he then is nailed to the cross. Like, let's not allow our over-familiarity with this to rob us from the real understanding of what went on here. They held a man down, they took huge nails, and they nailed him to a cross. And then he is hung up, and he slowly dies of suffocation and congestive heart failure and dehydration over six horrific hours while he writhed on the cross, twisting and pushing against terrible wounds in order to get each breath he took. And finally, he died. Good Friday. Looks pretty bad to me. It's a day of horror, of inexplicable injustice, of violence and fear and torture and abandonment and death. And, and let's remember who this is, right? Like, this isn't just 
This isn't some serial killer. This isn't some murderer. This isn't someone who deserved to die. I mean, this is Jesus. He was king of kings. And yet his title couldn't save him. He is the son of God. He's, he's God's dearly beloved, only begotten son. And yet that identity couldn't save him. He had authority over all of creation. And yet that power couldn't save him. Jesus was going to the cross. But first, an intriguing incident took place, which if it had never been put in the scriptures, we would never notice its lack. And indeed, what happened in this incident bears in no way on what Jesus did on the cross, what he won for us, makes no difference in terms of our atonement or the remission of our sins, yet it is there. And when I see those things, it makes me go, why, Lord? What is that about? Let me read this to you. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And they put a staff in his right hand. And then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the rope and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. This strange ceremony played out with three parts that we have beside us here. A royal-looking robe, a crown of thorns of all things, and a heavy staff or stick. What does all this possibly mean? You know, Jesus is many things. And one of the things that he was, was that he was a prophet. And I believe that these things are Jesus prophetically revealing to us in his place of judgment, a clear warning to us of what it may be like for us in our place of judgment on the final day. When we pass from life to death, when we go through the veil and find ourselves in a place of judgment. Because the Bible is crystal clear, right? That we will all be judged. We will all at some point stand before God and be judged for what we have done and how we have lived. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, good or bad. So let's be clear, that day is coming, ladies and gentlemen, for me and for you. And the thing is, what will we say on that day? What will save us on that day? You see, in life, we weigh up good against bad, right? You know, we've got to make a decision uh, at home or in business, and we, and we weigh up the pros and the cons. We'll do a PMI. We'll look at the positives and the minuses. Well, that's what we do. We weigh those things up. But it's important for us to realize that when it comes to matters of the law, it is not a matter of weighing good against bad. You can be a saint. You can live a perfect life, and then you break the law, and you will pay for that. You will pay for that, regardless of how much good you have done in your life. I have a friend of mine who 
All his life wanted to be a police officer. And I have to say, he would have been an exceptional police officer. One day as a 16-year-old, he was taken out hunting by an older friend of his who had a couple of rifles and lent him one of his rifles. They didn't even shoot anything because they had hardly started when a ranger came across them and asked for my friend's gun license, which he didn't have. His older friend had said to him, buddy, you don't need a gun license. It's all God. Just come with me. You can use my rifle. It's all good. Unfortunately, that wasn't what the law said. And so he had broken the law. And he was convicted. And the consequence of that was that he could never enter the police force. Isn't that interesting? One conviction. Despite all of the reasons why he would have been an exceptional police officer, Incredible Christian guy, an unbelievable strong sense of right and wrong. He's like six foot five. He's built like a tank. Uh, He's got the most compassionate heart. But one thing, broke one law, and the consequences, he is shut out from that that he dreamed of. You break the law, payment must be made. It will cost you in money or in time or in some places, even your life. And Jesus speaks to us, I believe, in these three prophetic pictures The crown that wasn't Jesus' crown, the robe that wasn't Jesus' robe, and the staff that wasn't Jesus' staff. You see, I believe that a crown speaks of title and achievement. The things that others bestow upon us that show value. And in Jesus, we see that, that crowns and our crowns, our titles, our achievements, our accomplishments will not save us. And we may find ourselves saying, but Lord, see what I've achieved in my life. See, I have certificates. I have, I have degrees, Lord. I have a good salary. I have earned it. People respect me. The achievements, the accomplishments, the awards, the places you got to in life on that day will turn out to be nothing when it comes to paying the wages of your sin. They won't help you. They will be like a crown, but a crown of thorns on your head. A robe speaks of identity. You know, uniforms, the robes that we wear in different roles in society, give us identity. And in Jesus, we see that the robes that people put on you will be stripped off you in that day. They will not save you. And some people will say, but Lord, see who I am. See who they say that I am. God, I'm a leader. I'm a manager. God, I'm an owner. I'm a person of skill. I'm a person of accomplishment, of education. God, I'm a success. God, I'm a good person. The identity that you thought was yours, the positions you held, those things that others said that you were, will all be stripped off you, taken away, leaving you naked on that day. They were not you. They were only yours for a while. And come judgment day, they will not help you at all, ladies and gentlemen. As you judge, you will be judged. They will be taken away. And only you will be left. And a staff, a staff, a big stick, speaks of power. The staff of authority that you held in your community, in your workplace, in your family. You know, the rules that you enforced, the big stick that you wielded, the standard you used in that day 
will be used against you. It will not save you. But Lord, I was right. Lord, I made tough decisions. Lord, I, Lord, I was a person of authority in my community. I held people accountable, Lord. I did what I had to do. But the problem is, how do we fear when those same standards are placed against us as others would judge it? In the end, the sticks, the authority, the power that we wield will not help us. Indeed, they may even indict us and be wielded against us. See, Jesus showed us, I believe, that our crowns of gold and glory, our achievements and successes will turn out to be nothing more than a crown of thorns. Our robes, our identities, who others say we are, will turn out to be borrowed and will be stripped off us and our staff, our authority, our power that we wielded over others will be used against us. So the question again is, what then will save us in that day? Because the Bible is clear, right? We have all sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How then? If we have all sinned, if we've all broken God's laws, if we've all done those things, how will we make that right? How will we pay that back? How will we repair that breach? How will we do that? You see, it's interesting in the story we read earlier, right? Pilate makes such an interesting statement. Pilate says this. He says, what crime has he committed? I mean, this was the guy who was there to investigate this and essentially bring the conviction. He can't find Anything, And he even asks the crowd, what crime has he committed? And the crowd say nothing. They, have, they, they don't bring one charge against him. They just shout Pilate down. Jesus, I believe, showed us our state. Sinners with no hope of saving ourselves with all of our good deeds and all of our achievements. But he also showed us his state, completely and utterly without sin. Completely and utterly without anything that would indict him in any way. He was perfect. He was without sin. So, so if, if what Paul says in Romans 6 is true, that the wages of sin is death, then we have to ask, what about Jesus' death? You see, if death is the wages of sin, what was Jesus' death paying for? If it wasn't paying for his sins because there were none, then the question must be asked, whose sins did Jesus' death pay for? Pay for because death is the wages of sin. And of course, the answer is ours. It's our sins that Jesus' death paid for. Listen to this, Isaiah 53 verse 6. We're all like sheep who have wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing. We've gone our own way. And God has piled our sins Everything we have done wrong on him. It was our sins 
It was the wages of our sins that Jesus suffered and died for. It was our useless crowns that were driven into his head. It was our borrowed robes of identity that he was mocked for and then stripped of. It was our brutal staff of power that was turned on him to beat him. It was us who denied him and abandoned him. It was us who condemned him. We're going to take communion in a moment. It's an act of honor to the Lord. I'm going to ask the team to come and just begin to quickly hand out the elements of communion now, please. But we need to realize that the king of the created universe, the king of the created universe was left bankrupt and broken and destroyed on a cross. And that's what death does. That's what the payment is for sin. And it was all ours. It was all ours. Because, you see, if death are the wages of sin and Jesus had no sin, then without taking sin, he would not have died. But he did. When the wages of sin are demanded, ladies and gentlemen, they will take everything from our lives. They will leave us bankrupt and destroyed. That's what death does. For on Friday... On Friday, Jesus showed me the wages of my sin that otherwise would be held against me. And then he went to the cross and then he paid the wages for my sin. He went through death for me, literally me, literally you. It was our sin the wages of of our wrongdoing. Wherever on the spectrum that wrongdoing is, that's what Jesus suffered for. Our sin was piled upon him. Jesus took it in himself to the cross and when he was crucified and his body destroyed, so too were the sins that were held against us. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge. Got that? Cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That is why this is a good fight. For us, that it is good Friday. It's for us. Our sins are gone. Our debt is paid. And He is with us. Because as we know, though on the cross He said that it is finished, day when my crowns have turned to thorns, when my robes have been stripped off, when my staff has been used against me, He will be there on that final day. After I have gone through death, whatever that looks like for me, when I have died, 
through whatever it is that takes me. When I am there and all those things are stripped away and the question is asked, who will pay for this guy's sins? He will stand up and say, paid, Lord, in full, it is I sat slumped in a chair in a gas station where I worked on Manukau Road after a long journey of God pursuing me. Finding myself that evening at about three in the morning, having had this incredibly random conversation with a person I'd met previously who was a Christian who, through a, quite a supernatural occurrence, called me up out of the blue when I even wasn't even meant to be there talk with me about Jesus and I found myself slumped in this chair at the end of myself knowing that I had to take this step, that I had to put my faith in Jesus and so I did I confessed that I was a sinner, I admitted that I was a sinner, I came to agreement with God, yes I am a sinner and I received Jesus as my Lord, I invited Him into my world as my Savior, and I, I was forgiven. My guilt and my shame finally found its antidote. How? How can a conversation in a chair with somebody I can't see at three o'clock in the morning in Manukau Road in Auckland? How can that? tangibly shift and lift a weight of guilt and shame I carried my whole life in an instant it's because on Good Friday He made provision for me He allowed my sin in advance to be piled upon Him and He paid it and took it away waiting for the day when I would come to Him honestly that is the single most powerful, pivotal, and important moment of my life. And nothing I have done, nothing I have achieved, nothing I have become comes anywhere near what He did for me. His body broken and His blood shed.
just to come and take a moment and say, God, and you know what it is you You know what it is. Then as we sing this, this song, front is open, please. Feel free just to do whatever it is that you'll hide.